So even at times where the aircon's not working, one day you'll be singing with the angels. <laughs> hey, bring it, bring it. Welcome to those of you in the room and those that are joining online as well. We just hope you are blessed by this time together. You made an investment of your time just by being present and God will honour that. God always honours time that we set aside for Him. And uh, what we discover as we spend more time with God is not just that He exists, that He actually wants to do life with us. He actually wants to journey with us, that He's incredibly kind, and that every step we take towards Him, He takes a step towards us. He's incredibly gracious and kind as a dad. This weekend we get to our final instalment in the 1 Thessalonians series, and we've been thinking about the return of Christ, and I'm Excited to be able to bring a message to you called He Will Finish What He Started. He'll finish what he started. This is actually a sentence that is a worship song, but it's also a bit of a Christian slogan that gets bandied around. He'll finish what he started. There's good reason for that because it's a big theme in God's story. Now, anyone new to church will be wondering, who is he and what has he started? Well, the he is God. That's who the he is. He'll finish what he started. And contextually, especially here in 1 Thessalonians 5, what he started is my sanctification. He started my sanctification and he'll continue it through until the end. My sancti what? My sanctification. That is the process of me being renewed and being put back together again. This is God taking the old Jono, the broken Jono, the proud Jono, and, and reforming me and making me more like I was supposed to be, like Jesus. What's that look like? It looks like me being more kind and more patient and more loving and more self-controlled and more gentle. Sanctification is the process of God picking me up from wherever I start, taking me from here to there on that journey, moving me closer to Him. It's the, un it's the selfish version of me, rather, becoming a more unselfish version of me. It's the proud and arrogant me becoming more gentle and humble. It's the thoughtless and rude me being more aware and gracious towards others. This is sanctification. It's me becoming healthy over time. It's me changing for the better. And the moment we approach Christ, here's what you need to know. God loves you immediately, just like that. The moment you come to Christ, you are loved immediately. The Christian faith is a come as you are type of entry point. Come as you are. Always God says to anyone and everyone, come as you are. But here's the thing. It's never stay as you are. That's not how the Christian faith works. It's come as you are, but we don't get to stay as we are. It's coming into relationship with God is, is coming into a lifestyle of change. Becoming God's friend is synonymous with entering a life of continual change. Now, I get it. When you hear those words, you need to change. It probably doesn't spark positive emotions in you. When you hear somebody in your family say, you need to change, that's not normally a positive thing. It's normally a cranky wife saying to a selfish husband, you need to change or else this marriage is over. Or, or a, a, a parent that's at the end of their wits saying to their child, you need to change or you're being kicked out of this family. 
It's not a positive thing. It's hardly affirming. It's normally in the context of a real stinger. It hardly gives us a lift. And this, these particular words strike at our identity and they're almost always harmful. Parents act towards children, that is normal earthly parents, with an if-then scenario. If you be a good boy or girl, then I'll give you a lollipop. If you want to go and visit your friend, you better behave. You better go and tidy your room. It's always conditional. God, however, our heavenly parent, treats us in a different way. He gives us the pass on the front end. He demonstrates his love towards us up front. And he doesn't love us because we deserve it. He loves us because he considers us worthy of it. And that's amazing. That's amazing to me. So as we approach God, it's not a case of clean up your behaviour. No, we start from a positional place. God never says to any human, when you do this, I will do this. He says the pathway to acceptance has been established because of what Jesus has done. So now act like it. You have been forgiven, so now act like you're forgiven. See, the starting point is altogether different. But change, we cannot deny, is a normal operating mode of a person following Jesus. But who knows, this character growth that I'm referring to is so slow. So slow. It's like a turtle with a bad case of gastro. I mean, it's just so slow, the movement. It starts and stops. It's two steps forward and another step back. It's a step forward and another step back. And I don't know about you, but I get frustrated at my own lack of progress when this renewal process is open to me. It feels like the person I'm loved and called to be that we spoke of last week is so often kind of stagnating and not really moving forward into the fullness of what God's calling me to be. And sometimes I look back at the past year and go, what was that? What was that? Did I do anything with that time? I mean, am I in any different place to where I was last year? And it's hard. This weekend, I want to give you three reasons for confidence in terms of you continuing to press in to your God calling and knowing that His mercy is fresh every single morning. And my trust is, when my trust is in Christ and my alignment is with Him, we can continue to press in with great confidence. God isn't the type of Father that's looking for an excuse to give up on you. This isn't God. This isn't the God of the Bible. When my life is in the process of healthy renewal, when I'm staying connected with Him, I am not stuck. And there's days where I feel like I can't see the forest for the trees. However, I can be confident. Our reading has reasons for this confidence. He will finish what he started. A reminder of the sermon notes being in the Version app. If you've got a mobile device you'd like to follow on with, you can search Access Church North Lakes in the Version app and you'll find the notes. Otherwise, they'll appear on screen. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. And then some final greetings here right at the end of the letter, which if it was 2020, wouldn't be here. 
greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred elbow tap. I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And may the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his holy word. Why can we be confident? Firstly, because of God's life, life, lifelong commitment to your journey. Please notice verse 23, what it says about the length of partnership between you and God. It's not on again, off again. It's permanent. It's not seasonal. God is saying, I'm with you indefinitely until the end. Verse 23, the end of part says, there'll be an ongoing project here in, the, in terms of you and I being conformed to the image of Christ until the day of His return. And the one who calls this arrangement into being is faithful. He's not about to change his mind and put you in the too hard basket. Yeah, you have your off days. I do too. But God doesn't work on a three strikes and you're out policy. He's not like, I've already warned you twice this year about your swearing. One more time and I'm kicking you out of the family. This isn't how God operates. He's an all-in type of father. He's sticking with me in every high and every low. He's not going to abandon me. He's not going to bail on me on a bad day. God isn't going cold on me. He's not just here until he gets a better offer. You know that Facebook friend who you invite to an event and they say interested? It's kind of like, I'm just keeping my options open. I'm interested, but I'll decide on the day whether to come or not. This isn't what God is like. He says, I'm sticking to you like glue. If you've lived any length of time, you've been let down by friendships. People have surprised you with their fickleness to hold up their end of the bargain. There's times when it's not even directly anybody's fault. I remember being 12 years old in a small country town and my three friends, my three closest friends, all left town in the same year. I was devastated. I had a neighbour who was a close friend and neighbour, when you're talking country, was a kilometre down the road. But he was the nearest neighbour and he was a close friend. His name was Jared. I had another friend at church whose name was Scott and another friend at school whose name was Matt. I had all bases covered. Wherever I was, I had a close friend. Until this year came when they all left at the same time. And I struggled profoundly through that. It's challenging. It wasn't their fault. I thought it was at the time. I thought, they've abandoned me. But really, their family's just moved on and it's hard to manage relationships when geography changes, particularly at that age. Relationship drift, the drift that happens when you stay in the same town is even harder to deal with. But geography does change. I've moved to Brisbane from Victoria, from the leper state. I got out at the right time. But there's a little bit of guilt there when I stop and think about it, about all the people back there that thought I would be there for them. Friends who no doubt if I saw them today, I'd be delighted to see them. And yet we only have so much time, don't we? 168 hours in a week to try and maintain the circle. And it's impossible for me to keep touch with all of the people back there and maintain or create new friendships up here. It's just impossible. I can't do it. I can't do it. We need to see ourselves free from that. We aren't able to guarantee outcomes. We, we have no power to say, I'll be with you until the end. That's a human limitation that we have to own. 
We don't know where we'll be in 2030. No one knows in 10 years' time where I'll be. I can't say I'll be with you until the end, but God can. God can. God is a long-termer. He's not going anywhere. He has amazing loyalty to us, which should infuse confidence in us. We don't have to lose heart with this process of change, of sanctification, because God's not looking for an excuse to give up on us. He is sticking with us until the end. I know we get frustrated with ourselves at the pace of change, but God is saying, take a breath. Take a breath, son. Take a breath, daughter. You don't have to perform to keep me invested. I'm committed to you because it's who I am. This is encouraging. God's commitment to us is long. God's commitment to us is also wide. Look at verse 23. God is doing a complete overhaul of me. Everything is changing. When God moves, he moves in a comprehensive way. And this can lead us to be confident because of God's determination to bring holistic growth. Not only is he going to stay with me till the end, this change that he's bringing to my life is of a holistic nature. He's going to do renovations on my spirit, my soul and my body. And we see this in verse 23. May your whole spirit, soul and body be changed, be made whole as you get your life in alignment with God. Notice it doesn't say some parts. It's not like 50-50. You know, 50% will leave the way it is. The other 50% will renew. Now, God says a total renovation is mine. 80% isn't even enough. This is 100% effort by God. May God make your entire complete being brand new, change, transform for good. Be kept blameless. See how it's of a holistic nature. It's all of me. It's all of me. No rooms are left unopened to the presence of Jesus. He gets invited into every space and he makes new. He speaks healing into those broken places. He brings light into those dark places. He brings renewal completely, utterly, thoroughly, holistically. Everything shifts. No part of me is untouched when God is at work. You know, interestingly, the ancient Greek culture was the opposite to ours. They thought the spirit was pure and the body, anything could see physically, was evil and remained evil until the end. And one day when you went off to heaven, your spirit went off to be with God, but your body remained cursed. Your body remained evil. Your body remained ungodly. There was nothing you could do about it. What this means is you could do anything with your body and it didn't matter. Sleep around, abuse it with addictions. Don't worry at all about your health because God is not concerned with your body. That's totally your domain. This is a Greek worldview. God is spirit and spirit is his domain. And body, that really doesn't matter. Do whatever you like with that. Imagine the shock when the neighbouring church at Corinth, also an ancient Greek worldview, 300 kilometres south, but in the same vicinity with the same worldview gets this message from God, 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realise that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realise that if a man joins himself to a prostitute and becomes one body with her, 
For the Scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realise that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with a high price. So you must honour God with your body. Paul had to write and correct a major misconception they've got going on in their area of their spirituality. They didn't think the body mattered. So with these questions that pop up here, don't you know? The answer is we didn't. We didn't know. We didn't know that mattered. Our body is a dwelling place for God. Really? Are you serious? We thought it didn't matter. They valued only spirit. That sounds super strange to us, doesn't it, 2,000 years on? You know what would sound super strange to them? is observing our culture. We do the exact opposite. We don't value spirit, we value body. We value body. We only really in Australia value body. We learn from the scriptures, God values both. He sees us as a total package. He doesn't make a separation between the two. Where your body goes, your spirit goes and vice versa. What this means is there's no sacred secular divide with God. He doesn't want a church version of you and then a work version of you. He doesn't want a school version of you and then a home version of you. He wants a version, period, and it's called a godly version. Nothing is left untouched. I don't have a church mode and a work mode. I have a God mode. And when I, when I get in step with him, I undergo these changes and my whole being gets changed, transformed in the presence of God. If I'm really in this sweet spot, I'd be the same person on Monday at work as I am at the, on the weekend at church. I'd be the same person around my unchurched friends as I am around my church friends. I'd be the same person on a Wednesday night as I am in all the church groups. There's no such thing as a person close to God that's fragmented, you know, that kind of treats his family well but just drops a few F-bombs here and there. No, this, this is out of alignment with what God wants. I don't have one area of life right and then all these other secret areas that are, that are unchanged. God wants a total renovation, spirit, soul and body, holistic change is what God is after. And we can be confident that it's happening. God is committed to the process. Thirdly, I can be confident about the change God's doing in me because of his willingness to be the dominant player. His willingness to be the dominant player. Any life change I make for the better is God-inspired change. It's not really me doing it ultimately. It's him. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And here is the reason for the great deal of confidence we can have. Verse 24, for God will make this happen. He who calls you is faithful. Ultimately, this doesn't depend then on my will, on my ability, on my strength. God actually is the main player in this whole deal. I'm being carried along. I'm not carrying God. It's the other way around. He's carrying me. I get intrigued by people who 
they do a terrible sin in their lives, and I'm not saying sin isn't serious, it always is. It's just that they overstate their role when they talk about it. Here's how this rolls. I hear fellow humans say things like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I went there. I can't believe I I committed that sin. And then here's this key statement. I've let God down. Really? You've let God down. You managed to let God down. Sorry you haven't done that. You've majorly overstated your role. To let God down, you must have been first holding him up. You're not holding God up. You can't let God down. He's not depending on you to hold him up. He's the main player. If anyone's holding who, it's him holding you. You can't let God down. He wasn't relying on you in that way. Let me go a little further in punching a hole in our cute Christianity. There's a famous poem called Footprints in the Sands. Some of you will have heard of it. Some of you have probably got a bookmark in your Bible. Apologies in advance. You might have a fridge magnet or a plaque on the wall. There's a problem with this poem. It's fundamentally flawed. Let me show you why. For those who haven't heard of this Footprints in the Sand, it's this idea of God and you taking a journey, a walk along the beach, and it's an imagery of life, an illustration of us walking through life with God. And the poem goes that there's two sets of footprints because God's walking all the way alongside you. But the poet strikes this alarming reality. And he says, as he looks back at the footprints in the sand, he, he sees there's certain points where there's only one set of footprints. And he, he retorts to God, God, where were you? When I needed you most, I can only see one set of footprints. This can only mean one thing. You've abandoned me. Why would you do that, God? You abandoned me when I needed you the most. To which God replies, and now I quote from the poem, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never ever during your trials and testings. When you only saw one set of footprints, it was when I carried you. And everybody goes, ah. Problem. When does he not carry us? When does he not carry me? My Bible says without him I can do nothing. So when is he not carrying me? In actuality, that is the problem, that there's ever two sets of footprints. It's not the one set of footprints that's the problem, it's that there's two sometimes, which means I'm getting out of alignment with my father. This is not a 50-50 weight-bearing thing where he's kind of, you know, got his end of the bargain, I've got mine of the bargain. No, 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 I am totally dependent on him. He's the main player. He's carrying me forward in faith. You say, Jonah, that sounds really cool. So I can just be a spectator then. I can kind of just sit back and watch God do all this. And I don't even have to participate. I'm just a passenger in the process. Is that what you're saying? Not really. Dallas Willard explains it like this. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Sure, we can never work our way into God's good books by our best efforts, but that doesn't mean sit back and fall asleep. If we take a lethargic approach to our spiritual development, we will never grow. 
it kind of fits that age-old wisdom. Aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. This isn't it. As I quote from the previous chapter of Thessalonians now, see if you can spot effort is required. God's will is for you to be holy. So you must stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control their own body and live in holiness and honour. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who don't know God in his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer by violating their wives. God avenges all such sins and so on it goes. Can you see effort there? I can. I can see effort. So we've worked our way into a corner. In, in chapter four of this book, we, it seems like we've got to do some stuff. We've got to make an effort. And then in chapter five, we, we're now talking about God being the dominant player and particularly verse 24 of this chapter where God will make this happen. So who's going to do it? God. God will make this happen. God is the engine room behind change. So the question becomes, if God's doing it all and I'm being carried, what do I have to do? If God's really the one carrying the show, what effort do I put in this? Maintaining a connection. Maintaining a connection. Our greatest effort goes towards surrender, not straining. We're not straining to be better. We're not straining to bear fruit. We're not straining to stop swearing and have better language. We're not straining to stop being selfish and be more unselfish. We're, we're straining, if anything, towards surrender where we just become to that place where, Lord, here I am. Take me. Use me. The effort that I take to maintain is the effort that's required to retain a position of trust. If I remain in him, he will do it. He will do it. He will do it. My role is to remain. Harry, Isaac, Caitlin, I need you. I'm going to bring this home with an illustration. Caitlin is going to make her way up the front here. And she's doing life yet, so you guys just stay to the edge of the stage for now. And Caitlin, if you could come up. So Caitlin's demonstrating what it feels like to do life on our own. It's pretty jolly hard. It's, uh, sure you don't knock some equipment over here. <laughs> You're doing a really good job of acting this out. So it is hard. It's hard just to keep things working, you know, and keep Keep your, kind of your, your life off the ground when you're trying to do life without God. And as we strain in this place of doing life by ourselves without God and you're sort of bottoming, bottoming out at times and hitting the ground back here and scrapes and bruises and so on, we come to a realisation, hey, maybe I'm not in the sweet spot. Maybe I'm not living a life according to God's call. Maybe I, maybe there's more for me. Maybe I could invite God into the picture here. So can you turn around and find God? Here he comes. He looks just like Jesus, doesn't he? Here comes God. And he comes along and he helps us spare the load. So now we want you down the back. And he even takes the heavy end. This is the amazing thing about God. He carries the weight. He's up this end, carrying the, the hard end of the stick, doing most of the work and leading the way. And there's times where we kind of 
do an about face and go over here and start doing our own way thing and pull away from him. But we find that doesn't really work. We're really best to let him lead the way and life flows better. You can move forward a little to pretend you're creating some movement here. And life flows, flows so much better when God's in charge and we're doing things his way. This is a far better picture than if we take God out of it altogether and life comes crashing to the ground. Who knows, we still do that at times. At times, go back to doing things on our own and leaving God out of the picture again. And then we've got to invite him back in and say, look, Lord, sorry, I got off on my own little tangent there. Please come back and rescue me again. And he does. This is the kind of gracious father he is. The sad thing is, this is where a lot of us stop in our life of faith. In actuality, we haven't even really got started. God's given us something called the Holy Spirit. Come in, spinner. And he takes up this end. And what happens now? Hey! Am I doing anything? Not much. What's she doing? What weight is she bearing? Not much. What's she doing there? She just has to stay in the sweet spot. You guys start to move around a little bit and do your best, Caitlin, to follow them and stay in that sweet spot. Our effort is that. It's staying just in this sweet spot. When God says, let's go forward, let's go forward, God. Come on, I'm telling God what to do now. We go with him. And here's the hard bit. Sometimes God says, stop. We've actually got to stop. We can't get out of sync with him and do our own things because what we do when we do that, we, he just drops it and says, okay, I'll leave you with it then. And we're back to square one. Let's not be silly enough to do this. Let's let God be the leader. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come in and bring all the change in our lives that we need him to. And boy, do we need him, yeah? We need him. And let's stay in this sweet spot of just being with him. Being connected, living in the vine is how the Bible says this. We're just a branch connected to the vine. We just stay here and life goes really, really, really well. When we step out of that, that's when all sorts of things start playing up. Does that mean that this is kind of a magic trick to never going through any suffering? Not at all. But everything that comes against me in my life has to come through him. And I get to, I know this guy well. <laughs> I, I might have a tax plan for her, but they've got to come through him. And he's protecting me and he's upholding me. You didn't know that was coming, did you? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Give him a hand. Would the music team come back up as we close out? I have one final encouragement to give you, and it's a critical one. The closer you are to growth, the less you notice the less you notice. The closer you are to growth, the less you notice. For those in the room online who are watching saying, Jono, I think I want to live as a follower of Jesus. I think I want to involve God in my life, but I'm not seeing anything good happen. It just feels like I'm banging my head up against the wall. The closer you are to growth, the less you notice. Last time Aunt Beatrice saw your child was Christmas five years ago. At that time, your child was five years old. 
Now your child is 10 years old. What happens? What's what Aunt Beatrice going to say? Last time I saw you, you were down there. And now you're way up here. Why does she notice? Because she's been gone five years. Do the parents notice? Not really. Not in the same way. They're just there in the daily grind. They don't notice the growth. Do the brothers and sisters notice that child's growth? Not really. Same deal. They're too familiar. They're too close to it. But oh, Aunt Beatrice, she's been gone five years. When she comes back, she can see the ginormous strides you've made in your faith, in your character. I want to encourage you this weekend as you look at your life and you're like, is anything happening? Is God doing anything at all in my life? The closer you are to growth, the less you'll see. I think sometimes God needs to block us from our own growth so we don't get proud, so we stay dependent, so we keep our eyes on Him, so we don't start getting out of the circle of that illustration we just gave. Would you stand for prayer? God, we feel so sure that you'll finish what you started. And we're thankful. We're grateful to you. Thank you that you are promising to go with us until the end. Thank you that you're promising deep change, every part of our being. And thank you that you're promising to be the main player. And our role is just to surrender. And so we do that now. We hold out our hands to you. We say, here I am, Lord. Take my life. Please lead me. Please show me how to follow. Please help me trust. Please help me heal. Thank you, God, for your incredible patience. We just press into you. And we ask that we will keep moving forward, knowing you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.